0: I hope you're familiar with the book of Acts. You've spent time reading through that and seeing the advance of the gospel uh, from Jerusalem. The first few disciples that had been huddled, scared in that room before Jesus appeared to them. Uh, waited, the Holy Spirit fills them, and they are sent out. Well, by the time we get to Acts chapter 16, uh, Saul, the Hebrew name of a persecuting Pharisee of the church, uh, is referred to as Paul a Greek name for an apostle sent to the Gentiles. And as we go through these different chapters, even thinking in chapter 16, Paul is in Philippi preaching the gospel. Uh, from there, because they sought to um, upset the fortune-telling by a slave girl, by calling her to salvation and delivering her from those things, they are taken, beaten with rods, thrown into prison. Uh, It is in prison where the Philippian jailer is converted after an earthquake. They don't leave. And he asks that wonderful question, what must I do to be saved? Which Paul answers, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And he comes to faith in Christ. Uh, When they leave Philippi, they go to Thessalonica. In Thessalonica... Uh, They are persecuted yet again and forced to leave, only having been able to preach the gospel there for maybe as few as three weeks. They leave Thessalonica, they go to Berea. They're followed in Berea and they're preaching of the gospel by the Jews who hated them in Thessalonica. So they leave Berea. Uh, Paul ends up in Athens in chapter 17. In Athens, he takes the opportunity uh, to send other apostolic ministers on his behalf to different places to check on the churches. He preaches the gospel in the Areopagus and leaves and goes to Corinth. We see a similar pattern of Paul preaching the gospel in different places where he's going as we go forward, well, really throughout the whole book, but this isn't a sermon series on Acts, so we have to pick and choose. Uh, Chapter 21, Paul goes to Jerusalem. He wants to minister, bring a gift to the needy saints there, wants to preach the gospel. Uh, While he's there, he goes in, he's able to proclaim the gospel in the temple. He's arrested by the Romans, rescuing him from being murdered by the Jews that were there. In essence, then the Roman guards uh, who were stationed in Jerusalem near the temple, they hear the gospel. They take Paul before the Jewish council, they hear the gospel. Uh, Then he stays with the Romans. They take him to Caesarea, I believe it was, where he preaches before uh, the governor, Felix. He preaches before Felix's successor, Festus. He stays there in jail, uh, probably being visited, probably uh, continuing, well, definitely continuing to preach the gospel. We just don't know to who. He's brought out of that jail cell where he had kind of just been held without trial for a few years, preaches to King Agrippa uh, and Bernice with them along with Festus, proclaiming the gospel. Because he had claimed, I'm a Roman citizen, you can't just hold me, I appeal to Caesar. Uh, he gets an armed escort, uh, all expenses paid journey, straight to Rome, uh, Essentially, probably chained to a centurion or his guard, uh, the centurion's actually named Julius. So, the, so Julius hears the gospel. The people on the ship hear the gospel. The ship is wrecked. They land on Malta. Gospel hadn't gotten to Malta yet. So then Paul gets to preach the gospel in Malta, goes all the way to the rest of the way in Rome, where eventually he would stand trial before Caesar to proclaim the gospel to the head of the Roman Empire. The book of Acts, the end of ch- chapter 28 leaves Paul sort of waiting, but this is what it says as he's ministering in Rome under house arrest. It says this, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I imagine that Paul was a a hard guy to keep up with. I mean, now... uh, social media and cell phones and GPS. We can find anywhere, anybody anywhere at any time. Uh, Paul wouldn't have been that way. By the time a letter got to you where Paul was, you tried to chase him down, maybe he had already moved on. You uh, never could know. But then he's finally one place, and people find him, and everybody that it finds them Jews and Gentiles alike, they hear the gospel. And they hear the gospel because God used Paul's suffering for the gospel to advance the gospel. And that's where we get to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Here's, I think, the the nature of the text where we are uh, in this passage, kind of backing up, moving our way back into it, or actually working our way backwards a little bit before I read the text. Paul, in verse 23, had said, I'm a minister of the gospel. Paul, as a minister of the gospel, verse 23, the gospel... Uh, which had reconciled sinners to Christ, verses 21 and 22. Christ, who is eternally exalted over all creation, verses 15 to 20. Paul was suffering for the gospel and suffering for gospel-believing churches. He rejoices in this suffering. He rejoices in this suffering and he sees himself following in Christ's footsteps of affliction. The footsteps of Christ's affliction, we could say. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 is our text for this morning. Paul writes this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I rejoice in my sufferings. I want to break down this text together Uh, That's Paul's overarching statement, right? I rejoice in my sufferings. Well, why is that, Paul? Why are you rejoicing on that which is miserable, right? We recognize those things don't normally hold up. Suffering and rejoicing outside of the Bible, the Bible's everywhere. Uh, Outside of the Bible, those are not two words that we would connect together, but this is what Paul says. I rejoice in my sufferings. Well, why is that? Well, first of all, here's how this works. Uh, When I preach the gospel, I suffer for Christ's body. We saw that pattern just in a brief overview of what happened in Acts. Uh, It's not just Paul, and it's not just those chapters. Just a little bit before that, in Acts chapter 14, he was stoned and left for dead for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, when I preach, I end up suffering. I gave one overview, uh, in my own words, trying to, to uh, summarizing what Luke had said. Paul, actually, in a number of places, provides his own summary of the sufferings that he had faced. More things than I even, encounter, than I even mentioned to you. One of these lists is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 23 to 28, there are these other false apostles who sat in Corinth saying that they were superior to Paul and to his ministry. Uh, Paul was weak and contemptible and nobody should listen to him. After all, they were glorious. They were powerful. They were wise and they were well thought of. But Paul, who's Paul? So Paul steps in and he writes this, sort of jumping in the middle. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Like, wow, that doesn't sound, doesn't sound like what Paul would say, right? I'm a better servant of Christ than someone else. What do you mean, Paul? He says, well, I am talking like a madman. Let me tell you how I'm better. I'm a better servant with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. 40 was the maximum. So they aimed at 39 in case they miscounted. They didn't want to violate the law of God. Three times I was beaten with rods. Uh, Kids, this is not just like a little switch. I don't know how your parents uh, encourage you in the ways of the Lord. Um, There were wooden spoons in our household growing up, and in my mom's purse, uh, and in the principal's desk drawer, and hidden everywhere. I don't know. I don't even know where they were. It was always kind of keep you on your toes. A wooden spoon's always nearby. This is not that. Uh, We're talking rods. We're talking guards. We're talking welts, bruises. Am I going to be able to walk on the other end of this? Three times, three times, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, the Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. When Paul preached, Paul suffered. He suffered for the gospel. That's actually the context that we have in the book of Colossians. He mentions the fact that he is in chains. That house arrest that we mentioned, Paul, at the end of Acts, it's likely that in that time, in that period in Rome, that's not when he was executed. It's likely that Paul had that imprisonment, he was set free, continued his ministry, and then was arrested again, brought to Rome, and then at that point he was executed a few years later. But as he's imprisoned in Rome, awaiting trial, probably at that end of Acts chapter 28, he writes um, prison epistles. This is one of those. Paul is writing chained. Is his, is his hand chained? Is his foot chained? Is that just the, I can't leave or they'll come and hunt me down? Paul is writing in chains. And I don't know about you, but I am glad that Paul was in prison. Because I am thankful for Ephesians and for Philippians. And I'm thankful for Colossians. Even if it doesn't take me a year to get through four chapters These are the gifts of God, the gifts of Christ through his suffering, imprisoned apostle to his church, and not just to them, but across the ages to us. These letters were written while Paul was suffering for Christ's body. For your sake, for our sake, Paul was imprisoned, suffering for the gospel. When I preach, I suffer. What what else, Paul? When I suffer... I continue Christ's ministry. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Many authors will say that this is the most difficult phrase that you encounter in the book of Colossians. I am filling up in my flesh Paul says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Kind of what What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? When we think of the suffering that Christ had, we immediately go to the wrath of God, poured out on him, his his suffering in obedience to his Father, taking the punishment that our sins deserve. Uh, This term is actually not ever used anywhere to refer to that aspect of it. But Paul is not saying although it seems like it, Paul is not saying, you know what, what Jesus did on the cross, it was not enough to save his people. I think there's one just crazy author at some point in church. There's always a crazy author in church history that just takes the ridiculous view. Somebody published this. Like, oh, it wasn't, that's, that wasn't enough. So Paul needed to also suffer uh, to, for the salvation of God's people. Is that what Paul's saying? What Jesus did on the cross was not enough to save his people. I need to suffer too for your salvation. Well, when we're confronted with a passage in scripture that confuses us at first reading, we need to consider other passages in scripture that seem more clear, right? When you have a question, be like, is that what it means or am I misunderstanding it? Maybe you are misunderstanding it. Maybe you're not. But we can go to other passages to try to clear things up. And we refer to this as scripture interpreting scripture. So is Paul saying Christ's death on the cross was not sufficient to save his people? Before we even open up anything, what do you think? Was Christ's death on the cross insufficient to save his people, so Paul needed to get stoned a little bit too? No, that could be louder. No, good. Glad we're clear on that. Absolutely not. I wanted to multiply passages on this. Just hone in on one. 1 Peter 2.24, Peter, who observed this crucifixion, says this, he himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. He bore it. Not we bore it, not we all bear it. He himself, by himself, bore our sins in his body. Not Paul's body, not Peter's body, not Stephen's body, Christ's body, on the cross, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. His wounds, not Paul's wounds, not Peter's wounds, not your wounds, Christ's wounds. Christ's death is sufficient for our salvation. So then rather than adding to Christ's atoning work, again, once for all, it is finished. There are all these other texts we could multiply about those things. But rather than adding to Christ's atoning work, Paul is talking about sharing or participating in Christ's sufferings. Not adding to his atoning work, but sharing or participating in Christ's sufferings. See, in his obedience to God, Jesus suffered misunderstanding, and he suffered opposition, he suffered humiliation, misrepresentation, uh, persecution, even death. These are the aspects of what Christ suffered. And yes, it was for our salvation, it was for our atonement, but it also was Christ uh, as a pattern of suffering leading to glory, or suffering for the gospel, for righteousness sake, advancing righteousness, advancing the gospel. So as we think about this, we think about what Jesus did, both, yes, as an atoning sacrifice, but also as a pattern of life in this world for his people. We remember Jesus' words on the night before his death, John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. Jesus said this, if the world hates you... So Christ's sufferings provided atonement for us and it also provided a pattern of what would follow for his servants. And Paul is saying, I'm following that pattern. And it's, it's not complete because the advance of the gospel was not complete. Christ's atoning sacrifice, finished, sufficient for our death. But the pattern of suffering for the gospel in order to advance the gospel, not complete. And it remains incomplete, I would say, to this day. That pattern continues. When Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, in one conversation, one fatal swoop, very efficient, Paul was converted and called to gospel ministry. That doesn't normally happen like that, Uh, but it did for Paul. In the words of Christ, Paul was a chosen instrument of mine, this is Jesus speaking, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Don't just follow me, don't just proclaim my gospel, following me, proclaiming the gospel and suffering for it, following the pattern of Jesus, filling up in his own flesh, in his own body, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. First Peter, Christ in his suffering is lifted up as an example for us of one who was perfectly righteous yet suffered at the hands of sinful men. Later on in his letter, Peter applies this further for us, right? He, he says that, he keeps talking about suffering, and he talks about Christ's suffering. And in the course of those passages, there is the atoning death of Christ for the sake of our sins. We don't ever want to lose sight of that. But then, and so some have said, oh, what Christ did on the cross was providing a moral example for how we are to respond to injustice. And we reject that, that moral example theory of the atonement is wrong. Jesus did not die on the cross just so that you could learn how to turn the other cheek. That is not what he was accomplishing. But on the cross, Jesus was providing an example for us of how to trust God when treated unrighteously and how to turn the other cheek. So it is a both and. Well, which is more significant? The atoning sacrifice, bearing the wrath of God. But yet Peter takes that, and as we think about that, he also says... Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Are you atoning for your own sin? No. Can you, in suffering for the gospel, share in Christ's sufferings? Yes. Yes. Right? We need to keep those categories distinct, but recognize this pattern of that. And we, we rejoice insofar as we share Christ's sufferings that we also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed because suffering is the path to glory. It's the path that Christ followed, the trail that he blazed for us, the trail that he calls us to follow. We share Christ's sufferings Paul shared in Christ's sufferings. And because of that, because he was continuing Christ's ministry, because he was continuing to follow the pattern of his ministry and suffering for the sake of the gospel leading to uh, glory that would be revealed, because of all that, Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. I preach, I suffer, I suffer, I follow Christ's footsteps. Because of all of that, I rejoice. This is wonderful. This attitude was evident not just in Paul, uh, but in Peter, even very early in the book of Acts. It's amazing to see the transformation that happened in Peter's life, right? Uh, we've, Good Friday, Passion Week, up to Easter. I wonder if you read through the gospel accounts. We remember how did Peter respond to simple questions by a servant girl about his identification with Jesus? He denied three times in quick succession over the course of maybe an hour, maybe just a few hours, right? With very little costs, he gave in. Within a very short period of time, we see Peter again in the book of Acts. Once again, Acts chapter five, the Jewish religious council arrested Peter and at least some of the other apostles. We don't know who else it was. They arrest them for continuing to preach the gospel of Jesus as the resurrected Messiah. They're preaching it, they're arrested, (laughs) God just opens the door for them so they could just leave. Like, where are these guys? They arrest them again. And the end of that story, having been arrested for that, the council's trying to decide what to do. There's a a conversation that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 5. And then the council beat them. Think lashes, think rods, okay? The council beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. Weeping, uh, rubbing their wounds, hiding in shame. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. They had watched Jesus follow the pattern of suffering to glory. They had heard him say, you're going to follow this path. You're going to follow in my footsteps. And then when that happened, and they followed in their footsteps, their response was, we have the privilege and the opportunity to follow in the footsteps of our Lord. We get to suffer for his name's sake. Hallelujah. It's remarkable. And every day, In the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Do as you wish for us, to us. We will continue to preach Christ. So Paul and Peter, the other apostles, other ministers and servants of the gospel, they continued the pattern of Christ's ministry by their suffering. And they rejoiced to do so. And they rejoiced because their suffering for the gospel advanced the gospel. That's the, that's the center of this text, I think, center of my sermon. Suffering for the gospel advances the gospel. How? That's the main point in this passage. It's a truth expressed throughout God's word, throughout the New Testament, a truth that we need to grasp, that suffering for the gospel advances the gospel. But that's an interesting claim, isn't it? I mean, we naturally think that difficulty and opposition would hinder the growth of a movement on every level, but it's not the case. What do I mean by every level? That's kind of what I want to walk through now. As on multiple levels, the gospel was advanced by those and in those and through those who suffered for the gospel. See, suffering for the gospel advances the gospel personally. As Paul suffered for the gospel, I would say that the gospel was advanced in Paul himself. What do I mean by that? Well, the gospel that Paul preached and the gospel that Paul suffered for advanced his own understanding and appreciation and faith-filled embrace of the gospel. When we are unopposed, the truths that we read about in Scripture of the enmity that humanity has against God can just sort of fade past us. That can seem like a fairy tale. There's enmity against God, hatred for his ways? Oh, that's not been my experience. But suffering for the gospel vividly reminds the sufferer, of the spiritual war that is going on between sinful humanity and a holy God and his people. It reminds us of the distinction between those two cases. The darkness shows itself to be dark in contrast to the brightness of that light. Although Satan and his children, right, unbelievers are children of the devil, although they cannot take their enmity and hatred against God out on God, they do the next best thing, take their hatred of God out on his people. So Satan vents his fury out on God's children. So we see the vividness of that warfare reminded, you know what? This what scripture says about these things, this is true. And so the reality of these spiritual things, who we were, what we were like, what we've been rescued from, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, like we start to see the differences between those two realms, those two kingdoms far more clearly. Jesus had said that following him was a type of death. Do you remember this? This advances the gospel personally as well. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Where do you go when you have a cross on your back? What's next on your agenda? Death. Take up your cross, follow me. Follow me where? Follow me outside the city through the path of suffering to death. Because glory's on the other side. Whoever would save his life, you put down your cross, you don't follow this path, you're going to lose your life. Whoever loses his life, following the path of suffering, following my footsteps, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So every insult shouted at Paul, every lash across his back, every stone aimed at his head, every hour in prison involved Paul shouldering his own cross and following Jesus. He was dying to his sinful self as people were trying to kill him. He personally advanced the gospel through suffering for the gospel. There's also just an element of fellowship, a camaraderie shared by fellow sufferers. This is not unique to Christianity. Have you ever endured something awful, tried to explain that to somebody who did not go through it? Birth. Love Leanne's birth stories. Uh... She f- experienced that a little bit differently than I did. Uh, the, the pain that she went through uh, was different than the pain I did not go through. right? But, but ladies have those births, oh, I'll tell about this. It's like, oh, this thing, this, oh, miserable, all this type of this was the pain. And 1,700 hours of, of agonizing, screaming, or those type of things. Like, she's just a superhero. That's, I, that's just not the, the point of this, this sermon. I'm just amazed still uh, at all of those type of things. But there's a camaraderie of suffering, uh, distance races right? Half marathons, trudging along, 15-mile races. I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. Yeah, I ran around my block one time. No. Then if it's like, well, oh, yeah, uh, 15 miles. Oh, you ran a marathon? Yeah, I know what that's like. Like, ah, uh, you know what half of that's like. Those ultra ultramarathons, 50 miles, 100-mile races. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But there is a camaraderie in those who have suffered together. And really, that, that normal thing happens in this as well. Like We see that fulfilled here, but who are we fellowshipping with? We're fellowshipping with those who have suffered before us. So Paul advanced the gospel personally because he was suffering for the gospel and entering into fellowship with Christ who had suffered for the gospel and entering into fellowship with Christ's witnesses and martyrs, Old and New Testament. Those who had testified of the Christ who was to come and had suffered for that. I mean, isn't that what Hebrews 11 is trying to lay out for us? Those who walked by faith, some victoriously, most defeated, yet victorious. It's like, I see, I see the gospel in others, and I understand this a little bit better. I have a fellowship with others who have suffered for the gospel that's advanced in me. This isn't just about me. There's also the glory of filled shame of suffering for the sake of Christ's name. A glory-filled shame. They rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It is glorious, a cause of rejoicing that we would have dishonor heaped on us for the sake of Christ. It's like in doing this, they're saying, I am willing to suffer for the gospel because Christ's glory is more important to me than my own life, right? So he's advancing the gospel personally as he suffers for it because he's seeing himself in his proper place. There's Christ and the gospel and then there's me. I'm not the general that's valuable to this. I'm a foot soldier and I can be disposed of for the gospel. The cause is gonna move forward, right? We naturally want everything to be about us, Christ says it's not about you, it's about him, and when we suffer for the gospel, we see ourselves in that proper place. Suffering for the gospel advances the gospel personally. You start to see shame as glory because of who Christ is. Paul says this to the Ephesian elders just before he heads to Jerusalem. He says to them, now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained, compelled, drawn there by the Holy Spirit... Not knowing what will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And we read about that throughout Acts. And here's what he says But I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course, if only I may finish the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. What ministry? to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If I am offered for the gospel, what could be better than that? Am am I supposed to try to save my life? Am I supposed to try to think of my health and safety as more valuable than that? (laughs) My life's nothing. If it could be spent for the gospel, then it's something, right? Then we have value. Then we have Uh, purpose. We find worth in being given to the cause of Christ, not for advancing our own kingdom, advancing our own cause. Suffering for the gospel, Paul is just, that's just echoing what Jesus said. He wanted to lay down his life so that he could save it, so that he could find it. I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. And I don't know of any passage that more clearly displays how suffering for the gospel advances the gospel personally than Paul, yet again, this time in Philippians. There are a ton more. But this one just sticks out. Paul had suffered the loss of all things. He says this, For Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Reputation, health, safety, right? We, what he talked about in 2 Corinthians. I have suffered the loss of all things. He's just not exaggerating. And I count them as rubbish. That stuff was garbage anyway. Health, popularity, prestige, a cushy job as a Pharisee, it's garbage. Thank you for trucking it away in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here here it comes all together. I suffered this loss, I think it's garbage, I'm glad it's gone. Because I want Christ, and here's why. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection on the other side of suffering. The power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I I want to know what Jesus went through for me. I don't want to be spared the suffering that he went through for my sake. I want to know every every ounce of what he went through. He couldn't, right? The wrath of God would not be on Paul because the wrath of God was on Christ. So it's not what he's saying, right? Keep keep the categories separate. It's like, but yet Christ suffered for me. I want camaraderie. I want fellowship with him in suffering. I want to, Jesus went through this so he would know what I was going through right, sympathizing with our weakness and becoming a high priest that we could come to with everything. And he's like, and I, I wanna join with that. I mean, I, do, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get that. I wanna get it, or I want to want to get it. How far out do we need to go on that? I wanna know Christ. Do you wanna know Christ? Paul wanted to know Christ. And one of the ways that he knew he would come to know Christ better was suffering in Christ's name for Christ's gospel. Even if, it, even if it kills me, not just I'll get to know Jesus, I'll get to know more of what Jesus endured for me. I wanna share his sufferings. I wanna become like him even to the point of death. Suffering for the gospel advances the gospel personally in Paul's life. It also advances the gospel corporately When we talk about corporate, we're talking about a body, right? We're talking about what he says here that the church is the body of Christ. He's mentioned this before in verse 18. Paul was not just thinking of himself, Paul was not just acting on his own behalf when he preached and when he suffered. It wasn't just about him and his relationship with Jesus. He was ministering the gospel to Christ's body, he was doing this for the church. That's who he was suffering for. He was preaching for the church and he was suffering when he preached so he was suffering for the church christ's body and this suffering offered by one on behalf of the many paul on behalf of the churches advances the gospel corporately in the church uh, i got a, a free book this week um, my friend fellow pastor chris wilson uh, had this book it was free it was like hey do you, do you have this book it's like no i don't have the book it's like oh here you go I was just like, yeah, I picked this up for free. I mean, it was like $150. It was, it was crazy. He we laughed. We, we joked about that. But when a gift costs more, we appreciate it more. But I don't just mean a more expensive gift, because that's actually not always true. The most expensive gift isn't the most appreciated gift. A merely expensive gift could be given without love and received without relationship. And then you kind of feel like you're getting bought off right? When you realize that that's the case, it's like, maybe that's cool. It's just like, oh, uh, grandpa or uncle Joe, who never talks to our family, really upset at mom, you know, he bought me this Xbox and then he bought me this bike and then he bought me this thing. But hey, why doesn't he ever come to Thanksgiving? Why isn't he ever at Christmas? Why does he never return the letters that I sent to him? Thank you. What? This is like, oh, he, he's buying me off. And eventually you're like, you know, can you just keep it? I. I'm just not interested. At some point, now the kids were just kind of like, who's Uncle Joe? I want want stuff from Uncle Joe. Just just trust me on this. Eventually, you come to the, like, you know what? This is a pretty empty gesture, and I'm just not interested anymore. Nobody appreciates that for long. But money is not the only type of cost. There's also the cost of time, the cost of difficulty, the cost of effort, and so on. Right? Somebody nearby might get an expensive gift, but you have no relationship. But somebody could drive 500 miles to be at the birthday party. Um, have no gift, and it means more, right? There was a greater cost, time, effort, love, energy, than there was in buying a gift and even not being there. Oh, I searched for this book that you wanted for weeks until I found it. I think I tried to do that for Leanne, but she found it before I did. Like, oh, I found this, this book. I read it as a girl, and I think I had this idea. Or maybe you didn't get it and it's still supposed to be an idea. Uh, But I found it, right? And it only costs $7.34 from this obscure bookstore in Salem, Oregon or whatever. These are very specific. I'm making that up on the spot. But I searched for weeks and I found it. Like, oh, wow, you listened? That would be cool. Uh, You listened and you searched? You spent time? Thank you for that gift. Or I spent hours working on this craft or this project to complete it for you. Instead of spending this money on me, I saved it up to spend on you. When a child does that, for a parent, that means something, right? Even if it is something that you may or may not actually be interested in, something you could have bought for yourself, so you have, they had money they could have spent on them, they spent it on you, it's like, wow, there was, there was love behind that. There was a sacrifice offered on my behalf. And the greater, the sacrifice behind a gift, I would say the greater we appreciate the gift. And the gospel had come to the believers in the first century at a great cost with a great sacrifice on the part of the apostles and those who served with them. Yet these servants of the gospel willingly paid that cost because of the sake of, or for the sake of the believers, right? It wasn't just for themselves, and it was for Christ, but in love for Christ, there was love for Christ's people. And knowledge of this sacrifice advanced the gospel among those who already believed the gospel, They appreciated it more because it had been given to them at a cost. It was a costly gift. So they served those who suffered for them. They supported those who suffered for them. They prayed for those who suffered for them. They were thanking God for those suffering servants and asking God to rescue them from their suffering. Do you see how serving others in the body of Christ, supporting them, praying for them, longing for them to be set free, thankful to God? Do you see how all of that is growth in the gospel? Not just that more people believe, but they they have a better relationship with God in appreciation for the suffering of God's servants in bringing the gospel to them. In that serving and support, in loving those who Christ loved, the gospel was advanced among Christ's body. From the book of Acts on through church history, we can read about many, many, many servants of Christ who suffered so that the gospel could come to us. Us. And to this present day, believers are suffering for the gospel for the sake of Christ's body. And by the Holy Spirit, this is offered in love and received in love love for Christ, love for Christ's people, love for Christ's suffering servants. The body is built up in the offering of a great cost. And they're receiving the gift at a great cost. The gospel is advancing corporately. And it happened as Paul's writing this to the Colossians. This suffering, I'm in chains for you. Paul had never been to Colossae. He had never preached the gospel there. He did not plant that church. But yet he still saw, and they still saw, this suffering, this was for our sake. Paul is in prison so that the gospel could come to us. Thanks be to God. The gospel is advancing. In his body. And the gospel also advances evangelistically. Suffering for the gospel advances it personally, corporately, and evangelistically. As we saw in Acts at the beginning, each time persecution was inflicted on Paul to the point of driving him away from a city, the gospel only advanced because Paul just went to the next city. So the gospel multiplied for that. Suffering for the gospel advanced the gospel. And it's amazing how that takes place throughout Acts against all odds. From every side trying to crush and stop the gospel. I mean, the, mo- the clearest example of that, right? It's like, well, the gospel will not go forward because there's this guy and his name's Saul and he is just ravaging the church house to house, finding followers of Jesus, imprisoning them, and then giving approval for their execution. It's like, this guy's going to end it. <laughs> and then there's Acts 9. Did Paul end the gospel? Jesus says, you know, actually, I'm going to go ahead and advance the gospel even further. I'm going to take that persecutor who hates everybody, who hates Jews who would follow me, certainly would hate Gentiles following me or not following me, and I'm actually going to send him as a servant to the people that he, a servant of the message he despises to the people that he despises. I'm going to advance the gospel and it's going to be advanced through his suffering. An early Christian writer famously wrote of this idea in the second century, the saying, maybe you've heard this, probably have, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. How many times has Satan tried to stamp out this message and stamp out the advance, and it never works? It always backfires, and it always will. New Testament church history gives us ample examples of this. Even modern church history testifies to this. The gospel advancing right now and over the last 75, 80, 100 years, the gospel advancing in anti Christian countries, anti Christian countries. The countries that we pray for that are on that list and others that we haven't gotten to, the gospel advancing in anti Christian countries in the midst of intense suffering and persecution. China, expel or kill the missionaries. That'll stamp out the gospel communistic atheism that will prevail it has not 30 40 50 years of no one in the west knowing what's going on in china finally it opens up a little bit so people could get in it's like i wonder what happened well what happened was the gospel advanced because jesus didn't need western missionaries the holy spirit advanced the gospel through suffering and the church continues to grow What's happening in North Korea right now? I don't know. You don't know. I know the gospel just keeps getting lobbed into North Korea. And I trust that the suffering for the gospel that they are experiencing is advancing the gospel better than any effort that we could ever do, right? Christ advances his gospel as people suffer for the gospel. It has always happened and it always will until Christ brings the suffering and the opposition to an end. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. From Philippians, another letter written by Paul in prison. We see Paul rejoicing in this. I want you to know, brothers, this is chapter one. I want you to know what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Just quick, uh, shall we say, evangelistic philosophy lesson. Would it be easier for the gospel to be heard by unbelievers if one person is preaching or if 20 people are preaching? Who can cover more ground? One or two? 20, we could say one or 12, but that's the story of the gospels. Paul goes to prison. Oh, the gospel, it's done. But 20, 30, 40, I don't know. He doesn't give a number. Many other brothers are like, well, if Paul's not gonna be able to preach, who's gonna do it? The gospel has to go forward. I'll go, go, I'll go preach. I'll Go, go, I'll go preach. In Paul's place, and it just rises up. The Holy Spirit is advancing the gospel as Paul's suffering for the gospel, but Paul's not on the bench. Or if he is on the bench, somehow the bench is in the game. I'm not very good at sports metaphors, but somehow that works with that because Paul's sitting in one spot. Let's imagine a rotation of guards coming in and it's like, oh, Paul's chained to us. No, you're chained to Paul and he's going to tell you the gospel and he's going to tell the gospel to everybody else. And the guards start circulating back through that rotation, talking about, have you heard that Paul guy? Boy, that's a crazy detail. It's like, man, I hate that. He never shuts up. But, but when's my next shift? Can I go hear that guy again? And the gospel is advancing and circulating through the entire imperial guard. And by the sovereign grace of God, how did this work? Paul's gospel influence in the midst of suffering while under house arrest had even extended into the imperial palace. Even before he stood before Caesar, the gospel had infiltrated. Is Is this Caesar's family? Is this Caesar's servants? But Paul says at the end of the Philippians, hey, you know what? All of the saints greet you. That's not that uncommon. Especially those of Caesar's household, Run that by me again? Yeah, the gospel is echoing in the palace of a godless person who set himself up as an idol, ruling over an empire, abandoning Christ. Yeah, the gospel is echoing in the chambers of that because Paul went to prison. Suffering for the gospel advances the gospel. And it does so personally, corporately, and evangelistically. There's one more point I want to make about this. You know, as humans, we dread suffering. Uh, As Christians, we admire those who suffer for the gospel, may even long to be counted worthy ourselves to suffer for the gospel. Uh, We read Fox's Book of Martyrs or those type of things, stories from the English Reformation. It's like, oh God, would you strengthen us if you ask that? Or maybe, would you ask that of us? May we be faithful to those things. But I want to make sure that we have other categories that are clear, which is this, you know, not all suffering in the Christian life is suffering for the gospel. And I just think this is important for us to have this as a category. You know, sometimes Christians suffer because we are sinners. We suffer because we make foolish, sinful choices and endure the consequences of those things. And this is not suffering for the gospel, right? I'm a pastor trying to... uh, Give my life for the serving of the gospel. So if, if I you know, don't use my time wisely or uh, spend six and a half days out of the week here rather than at home, ignoring my children, ignoring my wife, and then in 10 years or so, right, they're just kind of like, if this is what this is, I really don't want a part of it. You know, they make their own choices, but they distance that and be like, oh, my children hate me, suffering for the sake of the gospel. Like, or suffering for neglecting the responsibility that you had for the sake of the gospel in my own home, right? So we don't just get to say like, oh, well, if I'm doing one thing for the gospel, all of my suffering has to do with the gospel. Sometimes we're suffering because of our own sinful choices. We have no glory in this. We, we, re- we cannot rejoice in this. Uh, Peter, Paul, others talk about this, right? It's like if you mouth off, you're a Christian, you mouth off to your master and you suffer for it, it's kind of like, oh, persecution. No, you are being a jerk right? Like you, you dishonored Christ and your master and you suffered for it, it has nothing to do with persecution, right? Sometimes we just suffer because we are sinners. Sometimes Christians suffer because we live in a fallen world filled with other sinners. Sickness, car accidents, job losses, fraud, theft, house break-ins. Uh, we moved here from uh, outside of Detroit, Michigan, where we never lost anything in a theft, into Charleston, uh for the sake of the gospel, we wanted to be part of Randolph Street, wanted to see how the Lord could use us in those things. So I'll say the move was for the sake of the gospel. Uh, and then our house was broken into. And so it happened twice. Uh, one time we were at the church picnic. They ripped out the window air conditioning unit. Another time they broke in the back door, uh, came, stole a laptop that was valuable to us. And uh, I had bikes stolen from the backyard because they didn't lock into the fence. That's stupidity. Um, did we suffer for the sake of the gospel in that? I would say no. We live in a world with sinners. Everything about my life, all of my possessions, everything about my home isn't about the gospel. Now, it's still suffering, right? But it's not suffering for the gospel. God's in control of that. God's in control of all things, car accidents, sickness, death. And he is using those things to sanctify us. So I'm not saying that that suffering is pointless. I'm just saying it's not for the sake of the gospel. They are from his hand for our good, for his glory But sometimes Christians suffer simply because we are Christians. We suffer because of our obedience to Christ. As Jesus said, we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I think that overlaps with suffering for the gospel. We are opposed by our family, our neighbors, our coworkers. We're opposed by governments because we hold unflinchingly to biblical truth. This is suffering for the gospel. And it doesn't only happen to prophets, apostles, missionaries, or pastors. It has happened and is happening to regular believers, which prophets, apostles, missionaries, and pastors are regular believers. But it has happened and is happening to regular believers like us around the world. They valued Christ and his gospel above all else. They considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt like Moses did. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property, the burning down of their houses, the execution of their family members. They joyfully accept this, since they knew they themselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They took seriously the blessings of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you go on later to say, and so they persecuted me, your master. Every believer suffers, but not all suffering is for the gospel. And I would say taking suffering that's for our sin, certainly, and even just taking suffering that we exist, that it happens because we live in a fallen world, taking that suffering and saying, oh, this is for the gospel, I think lowers the fact that there's actual real suffering that's happening for the sake of the gospel. Right? So like the, the cross to bear is not a cross of I have a splinter in my finger. Right? That's not really dying to, to self. Right? Somebody, doesn't, somebody doesn't like me. It's like, well, maybe you're annoying, so people don't always like you, right? It's not for the sake of the gospel, right? We really do need to keep these things. Every believer suffers. Not all suffering is for the gospel, so prayerfully consider whether your suffering is because of your sin, because of our fallen world, or because of the gospel. Just keep those categories in mind. And not all believers suffer for the gospel in the same way. Stephen and the apostle James were killed as martyrs early in the book of Acts, Peter and Paul lived and served for decades before they eventually suffered for the gospel to the point of death. But the Apostle John suffered longer than each of them, but died of old age. Some Christians were sent to the Colosseum to face death. Young and old, others escaped. And we could go on with examples of this. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul instructed Timothy to pray for government leaders so that God's people, quote, may lead a peaceful and quiet life Godly and dignified in every way. And he goes on, because in this, the gospel can flourish and grow. And then in 2 Timothy, he wrote, same author, to same recipient. Later, he said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Both of these things are true. Are you suffering for the gospel? If not, are you willing to suffer for the gospel? Prayerfully ask God to strengthen your love for Christ and your trust in him and your hope for eternal life so that you will be willing when suffering comes. Make that a matter of prayer. Also, if you are not suffering for the gospel, prayerfully consider whether this is because of God's providence or because of your unfaithfulness. Are there scenarios where you should be suffering for the gospel where you are not? As that's revealed, we need to repent of that. And if you are suffering for the gospel, do you believe, do you believe that your suffering is being used by God to advance the gospel? It's not pointless, and it's not defeat, that it's victory, it's the path of Christ and his apostles and his servants, the path to glory. The apostle Paul did believe that. He believed That suffering for the gospel advanced the gospel. So he rejoiced to suffer for the Colossians' sake. With faith and hope of Christ's victory in hand, he rejoiced as he suffered. And if you are suffering for the gospel, are you rejoicing in your suffering? That you, too, are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name and for the sake of other believers. May God work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. May Christ count us worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. May the Holy Spirit keep us from stumbling when we face suffering for the gospel. And may it be our eager expectation and hope that we will not be at all ashamed of the gospel, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in our bodies, whether by life or by death. For to us, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. God, for your glory, do these things. Call us to repentance where we have been unfaithful. Call us to rejoice in suffering for the gospel as it advances the gospel. This is your work, not ours. It's for Christ's glory and his kingdom, not our own. This is my prayer. Amen.